Joe. I'm going to set my timer here so that I don't talk too long because um, I always said, somebody said something when I came in that, yeah, in the, in the introduction, I'm supposed to say, Liz says you're the smart one. And I said, no, 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 no. Liz is the pretty one. Our brother is the smart one because he like really has a genius level IQ. And um, I'm the one with the personality. So <laughs> that's what I always said. Um, I had, I had, I'm the baby, you know, I had to have something. The baby's all about fun. So I'm starting my timer here. So I hope I don't get distracted by the seconds flipping. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. I am excited to be here and have lots of good information. I have to put on my glasses so I can see it, though. As my husband told me this morning, you should have used a bigger font. Um, oh, well. Uh, as you know, I'm Liz's sister, and you, a lot of people think we were twins. When we were younger, they thought we were twins. Um, we both look like my mother. Somebody asked the question. We both look like our mother, and we always have the same haircut. Um, somehow, I noticed a few years ago that in all the pictures, we always had the same haircut. So now when we cut our hair, we send pictures to each other so we know what is the haircut of the month. So, um, so I hope we're keeping it short because um, I'm not going to long hair. I uh, am married. I've been married for 34 years and have two sons who are in their 30s, uh, Charles Jr. and Brian. And Charles, who I may or may not talk to, talk about later, Charles Jr., has a uh, uh, medical discharge from the Army. He was in Iraq three times, and he has a medical discharge. And then Brian is doing something really weird like, what's it called, containment, confined space rescue. He's 6'2". I don't know how he does this, but confined space rescue. And he's right now in Florida at a nuclear plant, which, yeah, it, wow, indeed. Makes me nervous because I watched Chernobyl not long ago. And so I'm really nervous about that. And lots of paperwork and it was really, had, the first time he went, he's been twice. The first time he went, he said, they followed you everywhere. You went to the bathroom, they had to go with you because the place is so secure. So, so he's there for two weeks, but he kind of lives with us when he's home. But he's not home much. He was paying for an apartment and realized that wasn't the smartest thing to do. Um, I have, uh, I also have a stepdaughter, uh, Susan, who is 50. And since there's only 12 years between us, she's one of my best friends. And uh, call her all the time to complain about her dad. But uh, <laughs> and I try not to use his name, because <laughs> you know? uh, I don't want to do that. But she's got four children, and uh, three children, I'm sorry, she's got three children, uh, from 18 to 23, so I have those grandchildren. And then I also have Tori, who is my baby. She's Charles's daughter, and they live on our property. So I see her all the time. And she's 10, she'll be 11 in December, and we raised her for a year while he was in Iraq. So he says, Mom, you act like Tori's your baby. I'm like, yeah, she is my baby. So raised her from one and a half to two and a half, so she is my baby. So we're very, very close. So as I said, I've been teaching at Northlake for 20 years, and it's funny that you mentioned that about not liking kids, because people say, why did you become a teacher? And it's not because I like kids. Um, that's, you know, a lot of people go, oh, I love children. No, that's not why. Um, I, I love to learn. I, I love to learn and I want to impress that on my children, on the children that I teach. I love to learn. And, and I do like them most of the time. Um, 
I taught second grade for 10 years because I was talking to somebody at our table who's a teacher. Second grade because they can take themselves to the bathroom and that's important. And they can, they're not sassy yet. And I always said I'm not going to teach anybody taller than I am, but now I'm teaching middle school. So everybody's taller than I am because I'm short. So everybody's taller than I am. I had a student last year who was 6'2". So, and he was in the middle school. And size 15 shoe. So, I yeah, I know they're all taller than I am. But they're sweet. They're sweet kids, sweet kids. And um, I left them in the care of my boss today. So we will see how that works out. I only had two periods, so we'll see how that works out. But I do love it there. It was kind of a miracle how I ended up there. And one of the things I love the most about it is like the other day we were I don't know what we were talking about something came up and one of my students said when does it end and I said when does what end and she and we I finally got to where she was going when does time end and I said time ends when Jesus comes back so that started a conversation about when is Jesus coming back and what is that all about and and when is um, we got to talk about having uh, religion versus relationship with Jesus, and that's one of the reasons why I love teaching at Northlake, because I get to talk about Jesus a lot, and that's one of my favorite things. But education is another one of my favorite things. Uh, let me explain about the educational therapy, because when I was talking to Liz the other day, she said, I don't even know what that is, but educational therapy is, it's through a group called the National Institute of Learning Development. They changed their name not long ago, and I always have to remember what it is. Learning Development. And you take three levels, and the idea is that when I was growing up, which was a long time ago, especially with this group, um, we believed that the brain was concrete, that your intelligence was your intelligence, what you could do, you could do, and that was it. Well, now through science and through MRIs and fMRIs, we're learning that the brain is not concrete, it's actually plastic. And you can increase your, your intelligence goes up and down, your abilities go up and down. We used to think if your language center was damaged, then that was it, you weren't going to be able to speak language. But now we know that parts of your brain will pick up for other parts of your brain. The, the, weaker, the stronger parts will pick up for the weaker parts. So educational therapy is a series of techniques that you do with students. You find out, it's a 90-minute session twice a week, and you find out where their weaknesses are, and then you do these certain techniques to help build up that part of their brain. And it's very, very, very successful. They've been doing, I think it's 35 years. 35 years, and it, it's a miracle how that got started, too. But So I was teaching for 10 years, then I started tutoring for two years, and during that time, I got this degree, and it's PCET, so I get to put these initials after my name, and people are always saying, what the heck does that mean? And because it's not like an, you know, I have an education degree, but it's mostly to start conversations. So, but... I don't practice therapy anymore, technically, because I teach. So I don't have time to do those sessions anymore. But it's in my brain, and it's the way that I teach, and it's the way that I look at students. And I tutored for two years, and that's my, my interest in students with learning disabilities kept growing and growing. And at, so this is the, pers the, the route I ended up on. We opened a... At Northlake, we have a, um, I teach at Northlake. Yeah, we told you that, Northlake Christian in Covington. I, um, we started our 
of kind of a ministry, but kind of it's an educational section called ULP, which is Upward Learning Program. And it's for students who have legitimate learning disabilities. You have to have an educational psychological exam that proves you have a learning disability. And we don't teach things differently. We just generally, well, we do teach in a different method, but we teach things slower because usually kids who have learning disabilities have trouble with the pace of the classroom because the pace of the classroom is lesson one, lesson two, lesson three, lesson four, have a test, lesson five, lesson six, lesson seven, have a test, and they can't keep up with that pace. So we slow it down, we do more manipulatives, we are more explicit, and we are more systematic about the way we teach. So there's a, a ULP in the lower school, there's a ULP in the middle school, I teach the language arts, I have a partner who teaches the math, and then we have some other things in the high school. To help these kids, they can learn. Because one thing, and I actually have it at the end of my speech, but I'm gonna tell you now, one thing you need to know if you have a child with a learning disability has nothing to do with intelligence. Nothing. Very, very intelligent people have learning disabilities. Bill Gates, you know, very intelligent people have learning disabilities. It has nothing to do with intelligence. So don't think that possibly your child is not smart. It has nothing to do with that. I have some very, very bright kids and much smarter than I am about memorizing things. Uh, and they try to tell me that all the time. So um, that's okay. That's all part of it when you're in middle school. They're a little sassy. All right, I want to talk about brain development, first of all. I touched on that, but I want to talk about brain development. I have some, I have to put on my glasses now so I can read this. Uh, the brain starts developing before birth and continues throughout our life, making connections. According to research now, more than one million new neural connections are being formed every second from zero to five. Your brain continues to make neural connections. It's like hands. I can't do it because I have this, the, this microphone. Hands touching each other and the electrical, senses, uh, the electrical impulses go in between the dendrites. Your brain continues to do that, but then it also starts, especially when you get to be my age, to prune the things that you're not using anymore, it prunes those things. But you can continue to develop your brain all your life. It's not, not over once you get to be a certain age. Uh, the process slows down. Uh, I w when I was holding Edgar, I was thinking about how our senses, it's our senses where we draw information. So talking about young children, it's your senses where you draw information through your eyes, your ears, the sense of touch. I was letting him feel my necklace and rubbing my necklace on him because those senses are where you're getting your information and you want to spend as much time doing sensory things as possible. The most important influence on a child's brain development is their relationship with the adults in their life. Their parents, their teachers, other adults, you, you know, you bring them here to the nursery, those adults, that's the most important relationship that they have. How can you develop that relationship? It's really, really simple. When babies are cooing and crying and fussing and talking, they are inviting you to engage with them. So if you respond to them, then they're learning when I send out signals, I get a response. They develop trust. They develop, you're, you're building their brain up by just talking to them. It's, it's really very simple when they're young to help build up those brains. You just communicate with them, pay attention to them, interact with them as much as you can. 
put down the phone, turn off the computer. Don't put your child in front of the TV because that's two-dimensional. I know it's easy. I raise children, too. I know it's easy to say, here, watch this. And it's okay a little bit, but that's two-dimensional. And it's not good for your brain development. Your brain development needs three-dimensional. Seeing things, playing with things, simple things, banging on pots and pans. Don't we love that? Banging on pots and pans. Uh, putting things in a bucket or a container and then dumping it out and putting it back in. Just simple things. Talking to them like, I'm going to cook dinner now. Look, I'm going to cook this. Look, I'm going to cook this green vegetable. What is this? And, and just you running a running conversation where, not even a conversation, more like a dialogue, where they're hearing you talk. We think that if they hear TV, okay, the TV's talking to them. They, their brain processes that as not being a human being. So you want to talk to them as much as you can because that helps to develop their language. Simple things like, um, let's put on this red shirt. Look at mommy's blue dress. Just using those words that you want them to learn instead of flashcards talking about, you know, look, the grass is green. Soon the grass is going to be brown. Um, because we finally got some cold weather. And now, Sunday, everybody at church is going to be wearing boots. I don't know if that happens at y'all's church, but Sunday at our church, everyone is going to be wearing boots because we've, we've got some cold weather now. We've been waiting to wear our boots. Uh, something simple like that. Or as you're buttoning, buttoning them up, one, two, three, four, counting, because that is teaching them that one-to-one -one correspondence. They're going to need to develop their math skills. That's the beginning of your math skills that one represents one object. So the more you do that, the more it gets in their brain, the more that is already being, that connection's already been made. So when they get into preschool and upper and elementary school, that connection's already there. That's the beginning of math skills. One, one problem we have a lot of times with our kids is we say they don't have a number line in their head. The numbers are just floating all around and they don't, have, you know, 15 is the same as 11, is the same as 100. It doesn't have any meaning to them. And you really have to work on that to try to help them with that. And one way is give them a calculator because a lot of it is never going to really click. But you do the best you can to try to make it click. Um, I may be finished early. Who knows? I'm talking really fast. Uh, I did that. Okay. As you get older and they are nearing, nearing preschool, you can start working on things like emotions. You know, you're cranky because you're tired. I know that hurts your feelings. And just letting them talk to you and express as much as they can and for you to affirm what they're saying. This is a, a good time where we start learning, teaching them about gratefulness and the difference being grateful is in our, has in our life. Their sponges and those connections are picking up on everything. And when you're reading to them, I'm, everybody knows you're supposed to read to your children. I didn't as much as I should have, but you're supposed to read to your children. And as you read to your children, you just talk through the book. Look at that picture. What's he doing? What color is that shirt? What do you think is going to happen next? Why do you think he did that? How do you think he's feeling? Just talking through the book teaches them, and this is teaching them comprehension. This is what reading comprehension is. And one big skill, as a matter of fact, is what I'm teaching and reading right now, is called visualizing. 
close the picture and say, what color was his jacket? Was he wearing tennis shoes? What was he doing? Was he climbing a tree? We want to teach them to have a movie in their head so that they, as they read, they're visualizing. Otherwise, you might as well just be reading German because it means nothing to you. So we want them to visualize. So just little hints like that, teaching them to visualize. And just uh, talking to them a lot. Play games with them. Don't use flashcards, but play games with them. Play pretend with them. Just talk to them, and, and, and it'll drive you crazy sometimes. When, when Tori was, when we had Tori, Tori's my granddaughter. When we had Tori for that year, we took her to Texas because we went to my stepdaughter's for Christmas. And on the way back, she was getting cranky. It's an 11-hour trip, and she was getting cranky. And so I was in the back seat with her. So I said, Tori, look at the truck. Tori, look at the truck. Every time a truck passed, Tori, look at the truck. For months, every time she saw a truck, Nana, truck, truck, Nana. And if I didn't respond, it got louder. Nana, I said truck. <laughs> and I'm like, I see the truck, Tori. I see the truck, Tori. And it was that way with Lelo, Lelo school buses, too. Um, oh, but it was, she was engaging with her environment. She was looking. She was seeing things. And you know, look, that's a red truck, Tori. That's a yellow truck, Tori. So you can teach them just going through your various day, going through your day. And don't stress about them learning and being prepared for preschool and knowing their alphabet. And you teach them. But they're going to pick up that stuff when they go to school. Don't stress them. I've, I've had kids who come in in second grade stressed already because mom wants A's. Just, they are what they are. God created them. They're going to be fine. So, um, but as you're learning, you want to teach them to value the process, not the product. I taught math for, in this program for four years, and I switched to ELA this year. It's the process. Your answer is only one point. Everything else is more important. How did you get there? How, what are you thinking? All of that is more important than your product. Because especially in this society, it's not the product, it's the process. So we want to teach them that it's the process. It's the process that's more important. Okay, I think I've made that point. All right. Um, it's not quick rewards. It's not, it's sustained effort and not instant gratification. And I see a lot of that in myself and in my students and in all the millennials that I work with. Um, they always tease me because I'll say something to them. They go, I know, millennials. You know, they're, they're, all, they're all millennials. So <laughs> we even had a conversation the other day about how I file things in file folders, but they file things in binders. So that's a, that's a, that's a millennial thing. They use binders, not file folders. So how many of you have heard of growth mindset? All right. Yay. If you haven't, you have got to Google growth mindset. Dr. Carol uh, Devec, D-W-E-C-K. She did a TED talk on this. That we want students to understand it's the process and the hard work it's not your ability that determines where you're going in life. She has this saying, the power of yet. I can't do that yet. And I used to tell my, my math students, 
and I'm watching this thing back here fall down. Um, there we go. I can't, uh, I can't do these multi multiplication problems yet. That gives them the idea that I'm going to be able to. I just can't do it right now. And that's what we want them to know. It's hard work that's more important than knowing how to do it. It's hard work. Think about people who hire people. What do you want? You want somebody who's willing to work hard. I would rather have a hard worker than somebody who's smart. Because sometimes people who are smart are not very hard workers because they know it all. So it's all about the hard work. And it's fascinating. She's a, she's, a, she's a doctor and she's done lots of research and about students who are able to do more once they realize it's hard work. Because that gives them a, I can do this. And that's what they need to believe they can do this. In my classroom, we don't say smart because I never say you're smart because what's the opposite of smart? Dumb. If you're not smart, you're dumb. So we don't say smart. We say, wow, you really worked hard on that. Wow, you were really paying attention to that. that you don't want to say you're smart or dumb. You're smart because if you're not smart, then you're dumb. And I don't want them thinking they're dumb because they're not dumb at all. But she did a TED Talk, and it's really interesting stuff. It's growth mindset. It's all over their books. There's, you know, lots of stuff. I have growth mind. I might have my growth. Now, I loaned somebody my growth mindset book, I think, and I couldn't find it to bring it here. I have some books out there, and I thought I, I went to look for it, but couldn't find it. There's growth mindset for math and growth mindset for reading and growth, just growth mindset. All right, now your child is in school, and they're starting to struggle. What do you do? First, check eyes and ears, because sometimes it's just they can't see, or sometimes it's just they're not hearing. So it could be something very, very simple. Don't panic. Don't panic anyway. Don't panic. You want to make sure they're hearing and seeing okay. And remember that if this is where this is in my notes, if your child has a learning disability, it has nothing to do with intelligence. We're going to develop their intelligence no matter what. Um, and besides, you, if your child isn't normal, what is normal? I mean, you know, look around. I would say all of us are normal, but yet we're all unique. We're all different, and we all have different interests and different things we can do. We're all normal. So what is normal? So when you hear about students struggling in school, a lot of times you hear dyslexia. I've taken, um, or I'm in the process of taking the Orton-Gillingham class, the first class. This is the official, their official dyslexia. Di uh, dyslexia definition. Dyslexia, dyslexia is a neurological disorder in individuals who, despite conventional classroom instruction, still fail to attend to attain the skills of reading, writing, and spelling commensurate with their intellectual abilities. They are not learning at what they're capable of doing. It's neurological. There are some connections not being made. I watched half of a webinar yesterday, because I had Carline, about the myth of dyslexia. And they talk so much about the importance of phonics in helping kids who are dyslexic, because they have to make that connection between the sound and the letters. 
what they see on the page. And you have to be very explicit and very systematic when you're teaching that. So, um, how much time do I have left? <sighs> Sorry, I gotta get involved. Okay, good, I'm doing good. Okay, some signs of dyslexia. They can be difficult to recognize. Some clues may indicate a problem. Before school, late talking, learning new words slowly, problem forming words correctly, such as reversing sounds and words or confusing sounds, words that sound alike, problems remembering or naming letters, numbers, or colors, difficulty learning nursery rhymes or playing rhyming games. And nursery rhymes and rhyming games are so important for building phonics, for hearing those sounds. These do not mean your child has dyslexia. It's just things to be looking for. When they get into school, reading well below the expected level for their age. Problems processing and understand what they hear and see. An expressive and receptive language problem. Difficulty finding the right word or forming answers to questions. I have that problem. Uh, problems remembering the sequence of things. I have that problem too. Difficulty seeing and occasionally hearing similarities and differences in letters and words. Inability to sound out the pronunciation of an unfamiliar word. Difficulty spelling is a big red flag. That's my, uh, my, my youngest, tallest son is, um, has a learning disability. And that's the spelling is what made me realize he had a learning disability. I didn't know what I know now, unfortunately. Spending or unusually, uh, spending an unusually long time completing tasks that involve reading and writing and avoiding activities that involve reading. Generally, the people who come to us and want to put their kids in our program say homework is a nightmare, which is why I don't give homework, because homework can be a nightmare for a kid who's having trouble reading. And you shouldn't have to go through that. That's, that's not fair to the family. Autism. Autism is now considered, it's autism spectrum disorder, and there's, there are levels now, and they've moved Asperger's to level one. It's no longer called Asperger's, it's autism spectrum disorder. But it's a complex developmental disability. Signs typically appear during early childhood, affecting a person's ability to communicate and interact with others. ASD is defined as a certain set of behaviors and is a spectrum condition, meaning you're going to fall somewhere on the spectrum. You may be here, you may be here. That affects individuals differently to varying degrees. There's no known single cause of autism. I'm not going to get into having vaccinations because I don't know that much about it, first of all. I know, I know people who are definitely will not have vaccinations, and I know people who say it doesn't make a difference. I'm... I don't know, I haven't researched it, so I don't know. But increased awareness and early diagnosis and intervention and access to services and supports can help with the outcomes. Some signs. They might not point at objects to show interest. For example, if a plane is flying overhead, not being able to point to it. Not look at objects when another person points at them. Have trouble relating to others or not have an interest in other people at all. Avoid eye contact and want to be alone. I, a lot, sometimes my students don't have trouble looking me in the eye. Have trouble understanding other people's feelings or talking about their own feelings. They're very, very literal. And uh, I don't know if y'all listen to um, The Bridge. That's because I'm on the North Shore 
it comes out of Slidell. The host in the morning, Brand Hansen, is Asperger's, and he makes no mis He tells everybody he's Asperger's, and it's really he's funny. But he said somebody he knew wrote a book from the point of view of Asperger's to neuro neurotypical people, which is what we are. And he said, if somebody who is neurotypical says, oh, that's the cutest dog in the world, an Asperger's person thinks, man, have you seen all the dogs in the world? Wow, you've seen all the dogs in the world, and this is the cutest. They are very, very literal. They will assume that that is exactly what you mean. And for someone who jokes around a lot and is just mildly sarcastic, that's a problem. Um, have to watch that. Um, you have to be very, very explicit with what you want them to do. And don't give them a lot of things to do. Give them one at a time. Like, write your name. I have a, a child who's, who, has, who has autism. And write your name on the paper. Write your date on the paper. We're going to this one. You have to be very explicit with him. He's very, very smart. Beautiful handwriting. And that's another whole subject. Handwriting, cursive, develops the brain. They need to learn cursive. Uh, continuing with my list. They prefer not to be held or cuddled, or they might cuddle only when they want to. I have a granddaughter like that. She doesn't like to be touched unless she wants to be. Appear to be unaware when people talk to them, but respond to other signs, sounds. To be interested in people, but not know how to talk, play, or relate to them. I have, I have a student who, tell, who for a long time would come in every day and say, what are you doing this weekend, Mrs. Patrick? Starting on Monday. And on Tuesday, she would ask me, what are you doing this weekend, Mrs. Patrick? What are you doing this weekend, Mrs. Patrick? Until she went to um, therapy. We have a, a therapist who comes in and um, she explained to her that you really should only say that a few times, not every single day. So, so she, now she asks me when she comes in in the afternoon, what are you doing, Mrs. Patrick? <laughs> but it's okay. She's a sweet girl and she's very smart because she has memorized the dinosaurs she's interested in. She knows all the Latin names. I can't do that. Well, I guess I could if I wanted to. Something she's interested in, she knows about. She knows about dinosaurs. Uh, they repeat or echo words or phrases said to them or repeat words or phrases in place of normal language. They have trouble expressing their needs using typical words or motions. Not play pretend games. For instance, they can't feed a doll like you would play that. Repeat actions over and over again. Have trouble adapting when a routine changes. I have to be very careful with my kids that we're on a different schedule this week and post it on the board and remind them over and over again. Lose skills they once had. For example, stop saying words that they were using. Asperger's syndrome is mostly having difficulty with social interactions, uh, restricted in interests like spiders. I had a kid who was fascinated with spiders and knew everything about spiders. And then it went to Spider-Man. So then it was everything about Spider-Man. And I can't remember what he did after that, but it was always something. He knew everything there was to know, though. It was, he should work in a museum. It was amazing. Uh, desire for sameness, and they do have distinctive strengths. Everybody, dyslexia, Asperger's, Down syndrome, whatever, they have strengths. You just want to work with their strengths to help with their weaknesses. And don't we all have strengths? And don't we all have weaknesses? So theirs may be a little more pronounced but they have, they have uh, strengths we need to work with. 
you might have kids with sensory problems who are hypersensitive to sound. Uh, I saw a kid not long ago walking, I was at a fair or something, and he was walking with his hands on his ears. I said, sensory issue. Sensitivity to sounds, not lighting like our pep rallies. The kids with their hands over their ears have sensory issues. So um, it could be a lot of different things. And again, it doesn't matter. It's not, it has nothing to do with intelligence. You can go to your, when this, if you suspect something, go to your pediatrician, talk to them, and have them guide you. They'll probably say, check the eyes and the ears first and then they can guide you to where you need to go, neurologist, whatever it is you may need to do. But they can learn, they just learn differently, so it's not hopeless. Uh, I read a really good uh, quote, a learning disability is not the end of the world, just the beginning of a new one. And I wanna throw this out as my last, as my last point. My husband went to Vietnam in 69, where he was exposed to Agent Orange which is environmental. He's had prostate cancer and had his prostate removed. He has tw had 24 stitches in his face not long ago where they took cancer out. He has diabetes. All of these things are related to Agent Orange. There are 15 different, different uh, diseases related to Agent Orange. What is in our environment may be dangerous and we need to think, you, some of you may be more ready for this message than others. I wasn't ready until a few years ago. We need to start looking at what's in our environment. What are we putting on our babies? What are we washing them with? What are we putting on their hair? What are we wiping their cute little bottoms with? What are we cleaning our house with? What are we washing our clothes with? We don't use dryer sheets anymore. I, I'm, I'm getting him to come along little by little. Um, can't wrench that detergent out of his hands because he does wash the clothes, which I don't want to complain about. But we do not use dryer sheets anymore. Um, a woman uses, I can't remember the, the figure, but like 682 different chemicals on her body before she leaves the house in the morning. We wash our hair, we take a bath, we put on makeup, we put lotion on our hands, we wash our dishes. And what you wash your dishes on with stays in your dishes. And every time you eat a meal, there's a little bit of that. Think about the toxins in your environment and, and how you can eliminate those. I'm one of those essential oils people. <laughs> um, one of those cult people. Somebody told me that was a cult. Um, I'm one of those cult people. Um, I'm not obnoxious. You saw me walk in with what was in my hand, Liz, when I walked in. Diet Coke, yeah. I love my Diet Coke and I am going to give it up as soon as I get through like this next nine weeks. I'm not so stressed, I'll give up my Diet Coke. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I don't smoke, I don't drink, it's, you know, it's like my thing. Um, but we need to think about what's in our environment. There's an app called Think Dirty and it's free, it's a Think Dirty app. Yesterday, I bought some deodorant, and because I've had breast cancer, my sister had breast cancer, and because I want to be like her, I had breast cancer two years later. So, you know, and she was wonderful. She helped me through it. She was wonderful. She went with me to my appointments and sat with me through my first chemo, went with me to buy my wig, and she was wonderful, and I love her very much. Um, gave me a wonderful book with sweet notes in it.
Um, anyway, enough about loving my sister. Um, where was I? Oh, I, bought, I don't buy deodorant with aluminum in it anymore because there's some people who say there's a connection. So I don't buy that anymore. I bought some deodorant yesterday, some Dr. Teal's deodorant that was charcoal. And I was checking out at Walmart and I said, oh, darn, I forgot to check this on my app. It was a five. It's, it goes from zero to 10. It was a five. And it'll give you all of the different things that are in it and what they possibly could cause. And interestingly, all of the research is coming out of Canada and Europe and not out of America. There are a lot of things we use that are banned in Europe. Propylene glycol. What's Miralax made out of? Propylene glycol. But that's banned in Europe. Or it's a, a, sub, a substance that they use sparingly because that's motor oil. So we, I'm learning all this stuff from a friend of mine and some other friends, and I'm amazed that we don't know these things. But anyway, it's a five. Because of the fragrance because they can't tell you what's in the fragrance because fragrance is proprietary. They don't have to tell you what's in the fragrance because that belongs to the company. So it could be nothing, it could be totally fine, or it could be a carcinogenic. So we just have to watch what we're doing. For a long time I made my own deodorant until I got tired of doing that. But um, it's not that hard, it's just you gotta remember to do it. Um, anyway, so Think Dirty app is great. Think about, if you're at that place or coming to that place, think about the things in your environment because they may be affecting your child and it may have some effect on this. I just I think about all these people I know who are having trouble getting pregnant and is that something in our environment? And cancer, you know, we can treat it, but where's it coming from? What's causing it? I don't want to say anything ugly about doctors or nurses, but they treat the symptoms what's causing the disease, and it may be something in our environment. So just think about that. So um, not saying you're a bad mother, because you're not. You're not. We all put um, baby powder. I love the smell of baby powder. We didn't know. We didn't know that talc was bad. We didn't know. So little knowledge is a dangerous thing. So um, I'm pretty sure I'm done. I'm pretty sure I've used my time. Thank you very much. And I have really enjoyed being with y'all. And if you have questions, if I don't know the answers, I will find you the answers. I have some books outside, not for sale, <laughs> um, just some books that, that I've collected over the years about learning disabilities and about teaching and things that you're free to look at. And some sites. Understood.org is a great site. And it, it's uh, ADD, ADHD, autism. I mean, it's, all, it's very, very reader-friendly. It's not real science-y. Gives you lots of good advice. That's a great one. And uh, Autism Speaks and IDA, the International Dyslexia Association, has a section for parents. And they have lots of good information. So that's another site to look at. And then, of course, there are a bazillion books. So thank you very much.